Welcome to Emergo Radio, a place where a brain-first lifestyle matters, a place of impact and inspiration, a place where your hosts, Dave Kenny and Susan Kenny, coach you to rise above. Hi, friends. This is Dave Kenny here. I am eager and very curious, and you'll understand why, to talk about a good friend, Dr. Diane Hamilton. And Dr. Hamilton is the founder and CEO of Tonera, a consulting and media-based business. She is also a nationally syndicated radio host, keynote speaker, a former MBA program chair at the Forbes School of Business. She has a PhD in business management, and she has taught more than a thousand business courses and authored multiple books, including Cracking the Curiosity Code, The Key to Unlocking Human Potential. By the way, it's a great read. I've had it myself. Cracking the Curiosity Code, The Key to Unlocking Human Potential. And that's what interests me in in our conversation today. She is the creator of the Curiosity Code Index Assessment, which is the first and only assessment that determines the factors that inhibit curiosity. She was chosen by Thinkers 50 Radar as one of the top thinkers in the world. Her grand groundbreaking work in the area of curiosity helps organizations improve innovation, engagement, and productivity. Her books are required readings at many universities worldwide. She is highly sought after keynote speaker who has shared the stage with popular speakers, including Steve Forbes, Marsha Goldsmith, Martha Stewart, Damon Johns, Travis Bradbury, Jeffrey Hazlett, and has been featured on Forbes, Inc., Investors Business Daily, First for Women, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox News, and now she gets to add Amergo Radio. Welcome, Diane. And that's my favorite. Thank you so much. I, <laughs> I am really excited to be here. This is going to be so much fun. I had a ball when you were on my show, and I can't wait to chat. Well, we we just kind of freewheeled it, and it was an incredible conversation and deep one. And so I'm I'm looking forward to getting to asking you questions and learning a lot from you today. Oh well, this will be fun. Yeah, I, I, I like it when we get to just uh, see where the conversation will go, and uh, we definitely did that on our show. And I I can't wait to see where we're going to bring this today. Well, your work is in curiosity, right? So let's just start there. What is what does it mean? to be curious and why should I care? Well, you know, that's such a good question and so many uh, ways to answer it because curiosity is, you know, people want to learn something else or explore some area they hadn't explored. But I think it, when it comes to organizations, it's all about getting away from status quo thinking and looking at the things that keep us from being curious. And uh, that, that, ties into so many things that companies are trying to improve. I mean, from innovation to engagement to productivity, everything keeps coming back to curiosity. So if we can ask questions, feel like we can explore areas, ask why, ask why not, why aren't we doing this? Why are we doing this? We can get out of that status quo thinking. I uh, often share a story about the research that was done. You might've seen National Geographic had uh, posted about uh, getting away from status quo and why people go along with status quo. Uh, They had uh, set up an experiment in a doctor's office. It was an eye doctor and a woman went in thinking she was just having her eyes examined, but instead everybody around her were actually actors in on the experiment. 
And they uh, decided they wanted to see how she'd go along with the status quo. So what they did was they rang a bell every couple minutes to see what she would do when everybody got up and sat down with no explanation every time the bell went off. And after just three times of having the bell go off and people standing up and sitting down, she did the same thing along with them. And it showed that people will just go along with what everybody else is doing without asking questions, without exploring why or anything else. So they they found that really interesting and they decided what they wanted to see what would happen if they took everybody out of the office uh, and called them back one at a time as if they were getting their eyes examined and left her alone. And what they found was they rang the bell and she still got up and sat down without (laughs) even knowing why. And so. That was very interesting to them. So they thought, let's add some actual patients to the office and see what happens. And the first patient sitting next to her, when the bell rang, she got up and sat down and he looked at her and he said, why would you do that? And she said, well, everybody else was doing it. I thought I was supposed to. So what do you think he did when the bell rang the next time? Well, he got up and he sat down with her, just like everybody else that they added to the office, because people... It's social learning. People feel comfortable doing what they're doing. But in the working world, that status quo thinking is going to lead to lack of innovation and blockbusters and Kodaks of the world that relied on what worked in the past doesn't always work in the future. So we need to know why are we standing up and sitting down for the bell? What, what's the reasoning behind this? And why are we you know, not asking the question of why? We talk a lot about, especially when I work with parents and families, but we talk a lot about asking deep, provocative, and curious questions to learn. And uh, I, I really believe that curiosity has the power to ask a really deep, intelligent question, whether that's in business, in leadership, in family. Um, what are your thoughts on that? It is really important to ask questions to learn. I think that a lot of people kind of just exist instead of really live. And I think that you can get very sedate and bored in life if if you don't. You know, life's much more interesting if you can explore different ways of just approaching it. And sometimes we let things keep us from being curious. And I think we don't even recognize it. And that's what I was trying to do with when I was when I wrote the book, Cracking the Curiosity Code, my my intention was really I wanted to write about curiosity, why, you know, what I knew about it and why some people are so, you know, curious and others aren't. And and I wanted to help people become more curious. But what I found as I was writing the book was I needed to know what was keeping us from being curious. And what was interesting to me was there was no, no assessment out there that determined that. All the assessments told you was whether you were curious or not, what your level was. And if you say you're low level curiosity, then what? It didn't help me. So I, that's when I created the Curiosity Code Index. I wanted to determine the things that keep us from being curious because once you know what holds you back, then you can move forward. So in this research, I found there really are four things that keep people from being curious. And once you recognize these factors and you can create an action plan and move forward. And so um, that was what I found was really fascinating is just once we can recognize these things in your personal life or in your business life, you you can come up with ways to overcome these things that are just uh, keeping you from doing more than you could be doing. And those curiosity inhibitors or those roadblocks stopping us from becoming more curious are fear, assumptions, environment, 
and technology, and that's based on your research, not mine. But <laughs> but but of those, can we explore each of those? Like, how does fear stop somebody from being curious? Yeah, we can go through them. Actually, you know, it's easy to remember them in the as fate, F A T E, as you mentioned, fear, assumptions, technology, and environment. Fear is something that, you know, we have people will say things, you know, in our lives to us sometimes that'll make us uh, hesitate to go back and ask those questions again. And I mean, in the working world, I have a lot of people who will say things like, don't come to me with problems unless you have solutions. Well, then what if you don't know the solutions? Uh, You're not going to maybe go back and ask (laughs) or tell them any more problems. And it made sense to say that originally because, you know, we thought we don't want people whining without trying to make things better. But sometimes people aren't capable of coming up with the solutions. They don't have the technical skills. And so fear is, you know, and how many times have you been in a situation where you have a question, but you think, oh, I don't want to ask that. I'm going to look stupid. I don't want to look unprepared. I don't want to be the only person who's thinking this. And fear can definitely be a huge inhibitor. When I first um, started researching the Curiosity Code Index, I started with uh, LinkedIn and I put a thread in there and asking people, you know, what's the main things that hold you back from being curious? And overwhelmingly, at that point, I got a lot of responses that were fear-based because it's just, it's very tough when you, even in leadership positions, you don't want to be the one who who shows that they really don't know everything. And you, no one knows everything. And it's, it's a vulnerability that people hesitate to want other people to know about them. But, you know, if you had all the answers, life would be pretty boring. So it's okay to have these fears, but I think it's important to recognize them. Um, And some of these things can overlap. As you go into the next one of assumptions, you know, the fear can make you held back because you're saying these things in your head, right? You're telling yourself, well, I'm not going to like this. Last time he yelled at me, I'm not going to ask that question, uh, that this is going to be probably too hard to learn. I mean, just think of all the things you tell yourself in in a day. I uh, often give an example of holding a glass of water in my hand when I'm in an audience. I was at Sherm recently and I stood up and I held glass of water in my hand. I said, how heavy do you think this water is? And people will yell out, oh, you know, eight ounces, six ounces, whatever they say. And I said, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. It matters how long I hold it. So let's say I hold it for a minute. It's not going to bother me. But if I hold it for an hour, my arm might start getting tired. And if I hold it all day, my arm might become paralyzed. And that's how our thoughts are. You, You get a fleeting thought, no big deal. You start dwelling on this thought for an hour, it starts to become more problematic. You hold on to it for a long time, it can paralyze you. So our assumptions are are, are very big in how we, we what we tell ourselves. And so to recognize these assumptions and to create plans to overcome that thought process is, is really important. And it, it ties into all these different areas. Technology is another one. We think, you know, it's going to be too hard. I don't want to uh, have to learn it again. You know, so some people either over or underutilize technology. Uh, if you only worked with a calculator and never knew the math behind it, we, you might have been the greatest math whiz ever, but because you've only got this superficial level of understanding, you, you've overutilized technology in that respect and not learned the basics. But then sometimes people are afraid of technology and then they underutilize it. So we have to have high tech, low tech time, learn the basics, not uh, take things for granted. And then as far as environment 
you know, it's very important to think of how much our environment has helped or hurt us. Some people have, like Steve Wozniak's dad totally helped him because he would spend all of his childhood showing him how to use gadgets and connect things and why it needed electricity for this and and gave him that sense of exploration and desire to, to ask uh, different questions. But a lot of us may not have had that kind of parent. A lot of us might have had teachers who could not answer all of our questions because they had to teach to the test. They had other things, you know, going on. And, you know, environment's huge. If, if you've watched any of the talks by like uh, Sir Ken Robinson or George Land, uh, you know, some of these talks are, you know, saying how creativity and curiosity and some of these things are impacted by our education system. We're seeing around age five that we have this peak and then we crash after that. It just goes dramatically down into adulthood. It's almost non-existent. And sometimes we're educated out of this um, need to ask questions because of all the people in our environment and in, in, you know, of all the ways we we've set up our education system. In fact, uh, George Land's research showed that, you know, the majority of five-year-olds, of course, are creative geniuses, but by the time they're 31, it's like 2%. I mean, it's just crazy. So, we really um, need to look at what we're, what's holding us back, and then we can move forward. We talk a lot about all of these things, fear, assumptions, technology, environment. Mm-hmm. But um, Marion Diamond's work shows, actually, and you talk about human potential and that of businesses or families and individuals, um, that the environment impacts the size of a brain, and so her work, first neuroscientist in the 60s, showed of neuroplasticity where an impoverished environment caused a brain to shrink in size and function and an enriched environment caused a brain to be not only more active, to grow in size. And she's the first one to quantify what now is neuroplasticity. And so mm-hmm. environment and, and curiosity, the, the you know, uh, love of learning is another element of that. And that comes from curiosity, too. Yeah, I mean, there's so much great research, and that's a great example. You know, Travis Bradbury talks a lot about that with his EQ work, and I've had Daniel Goleman on the show talking about emotional intelligence and that. I used uh, Carol Dweck's work a lot in my work uh, for curiosity because she talks about mindset and, you know, whether you can have a fixed mindset where you're just you know, going to close off uh, the ability to think you could make a difference in what in your growth of what you can uh, achieve and compared to a growth mindset where you think, you know, more work, uh, the harder you work, the more uh, you'll get better at something, the more you can learn. And I think to have that growth mindset is really important on top of, you know, the neuroplasticity uh, issue. We, we, we can develop these things. When I studied emotional intelligence for my doctoral dissertation, that was really important to, to leadership that the fact that this isn't something that's stuck, that we can get better. And that's, why I think, you know, has made me very interested in a lot of these behavioral issues that can sometimes hold people back because I think that they just give up and don't think that they're, I mean, this is, I wasn't meant to, to do more or this is just who I am, but it isn't. I mean, we, we all can grow. I love emotional intelligence, Carol Dweck's work on growth mindset, all the stuff that we love to teach here at Emergo Recovery. But uh, how do those concepts support greater curiosity in my life? Well, you know, curiosity 
ties into everything that I was researching. It was really surprising to me. I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, to come speak about conflict, to come speak about motivation and drive or, and uh, leadership and, um, you know, emotional intelligence, any of the things that they're struggling with, like innovation and engagement. And as I started to write the book, I started to look at how curiosity ties into just everything, because if we could ask questions, we can get better at a lot of things. And I I start to explain it to people in a way is think about baking a cake. If you're baking a cake, your, your end accomplishment of what you want to achieve is a cake, right? So you're mixing ingredients such as uh, flour and eggs and oil or whatever your ingredients are, and you're mixing them together and you put them in a pan and you put them in the oven. And then what happens? Well, if you didn't turn on the oven, nothing, right? You get goo. (laughs) And so that's the problem. So if you look at curiosity this way, if your end product that you're trying to get, say, in the working world is productivity, they're mixing together motivation and drive and innovation and engagement, all the things that they think are the ingredients to getting their, you know, improved outcome of productivity and money, right? But they're not turning on the oven, which is curiosity, which is the spark to all that. So that's how they tie together. I love that analogy. It brings it to life. So, yeah. <laughs> so we were talking before, but I want to dive a little bit into this about dopamine and the brain. And dopamine is the feel-good chemical in the brain, um, and it has the ability to change behavior. And that doesn't that can mean either way, positively or maybe more negatively in my life. Um, uh-huh. And and talk about curiosity and triggering dopamine in the brain. Well. The Max Planck Institute coined the, the term curiosity gene. They, we know that animals and humans have this. And so you're rewarded uh, if you explore. And think about the bird who only ate berries off of one bush and then never looked anywhere else. You're going to run out of berries and you're going to die. And so we have to have uh, this curiosity. So we are rewarded with dopamine when we have this curious seeking behavior. Of course, we want to have very goal-oriented, positive curiosity. We don't want to get into a candy crush curiosity where we sit on our computer all day and stare at nothing but going down the candy crush hole. So you've got to recognize the good kinds of things that you can do to help you uh, achieve goals that are meaningful by creating smart, meaningful goals by looking at kind of a personal SWOT analysis uh, is kind of what we do when we go through this training and when I go to organizations, they take my curiosity code index, which is like taking an emotional intelligence or disc or some kind of test like that, where you takes 10 minutes and you get this PDF report. But then we do these, these uh, exercises, but the first exercise is really for the individual to look at these 36 questions, these 36 areas and, and, really look at the ones that are holding them back and create kind of a personal SWOT analysis. In the business world, SWOT stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. So you're looking at your ways of overcoming these weaknesses and threats and, and uh, so that you can achieve these goals. And it's really enlightening. We do a lot of whiteboarding in these groups of, you know, you get to really explore like, well, yeah, that's really not that bad. You know, we kind of blow up these things that scare us or that we've been telling ourselves. And and once you kind of write it out, you kind of think, oh, well, that's all that is. And I'll just have this as my baby steps to get to the next level. And so we create these goals and plans. And then in the corporate level, we go on and create uh, 
an analysis for the organization and how a company can help us become more curious and solve their problems of all the cake ingredients I said before of innovation, engagement, all that based on helping us improve our curiosity. And so these training sessions are very helpful, not only to the individual, but the corporation as a whole. How can I, if I'm, if I'm an entrepreneur, if I'm, um, if, if I'm, if I'm a CEO, um, if I'm a mom, if I'm a dad, how can I apply curiosity to my personal life? And, 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 and why should I care? What, what are the benefits of doing that? Well, anyway, obviously we know that uh, people live longer, people feel better, you get more dopamine, you get all these health rewards, of course. But I think that it would make my life much more interesting. I think, as I said, a lot of people just really kind of just don't feel a sense of meaning. They just kind of it's time to make the donuts this is a commercial I think of in my, when I was a kid, uh, with the Dunkin' Donuts, the guy got up every day and made the donuts and it was time to make the donuts. And then you just keep living like this groundhog day. Uh, it, it's, it's something that I think a lot of people struggle with. They, they get bored. They don't really have a lot of meaning in their life. If you could explore new areas and develop and seek out new ways of uh, making your life more interesting and you never know what you can do to help somebody else and, and, and in addition to yourself. I've had a lot of people on my show who've made huge improvements in their lives. I, I think of Scott Harrison who created uh, Charity Water. He was basically uh, addicted and doing nothing but club clubbing all the time and woke up one day and decided this is crazy. He was going to die and went out and started this charity to make sure people throughout the world have water. And this has turned into a huge thing. And I think that he used his curiosity to try and find ways that he can make the world better. And he, he finally realized that he was tired of living the way he lived. But I think a lot of people don't question things enough. And I, I think sometimes it takes a tragic kind of situation like what he had to push him into that. And I'm hoping to, to get people talking about this so that they don't need a tragedy to mo- make them move forward. You're talking about using curiosity in that uh, ex- life example to help one find purpose. And we all have got to find purpose, Diana. You know, you you have purpose. It's why you wake up and you got energy and off you go in the day. So do I. But when we lack purpose, that's when we flounder. So uh, I can see how curiosity can help me identify what my purpose is in this world. Yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, such, it's tied into so many things. And I, I think it was really interesting in my next book that's coming out on perception, I saw how much it tied into that as well. Um, because if we, we're always looking at things from our own unique reality, you know, and if we start to recognize that everybody's got a different way of looking at things, and if we question that, we can get along better where they go back it goes back to the EQ issue. We develop em- empathy and better interpersonal skills. And, and when I was looking at perception, it really is a combination of IQ, EQ, uh, emotional quotient, um, you know, curiosity quotient, CQ, and cultural quotient, another CQ. Uh, if we look at these things, we can all get along better because I think it's so easy for us to just think of the world from our own little box and it's so different for everybody. And as we question things, we learn acceptance. And that's so important for everybody to get along. All right. You mentioned perception in your new project to me just before we started. You've picked it up here. 
Give us that Hollywood teaser. What's the book and what's your work on perception? <laughs> well, the teaser is really a lot of what I just said in terms of, uh, you know, of what the, the, the factors are that influence it. If you look at it, it's a process of how we come up with our decisions, right? And if we use our IQ and our EQ, that's a big part of it. But we also have the cultural aspect and the the effect that, you know, you have to get along in today's world. We've got so many generations. We've got so many cultures from different, you know, you're opening a business in different regions of the world. And we're seeing that just understanding things from, from different dynamics like that is, is just key to everybody's success. And it's not just in the business world, it's in, in general. And so that was what led to my interest in writing um, about perception, because I think we're seeing just crisis awareness and a lot of things right now is making an impact of how we're, we're dealing. And I want to make sure that people are able to see things from multiple perspectives. So basically, EPIC is kind of the, the acronym I have for uh, instead of fate, like I had with curiosity, it's EPIC is kind of the, the process of what you go through in perception, which stands for evaluation, prediction, interpretation, and then correlation or conclusion. And if you recognize how to go through these different, how we're becoming aware and analyzing and processing information and coming up with our interpretation based on our cultural backgrounds and different things that have impacted us. It's just so important to see that what people are going through and how their, their gender, how their age, how they're, where they're raised, their religion, everything can impact every decision that we come up with. And I think it's so important for us to know that as we become much more diverse What comes to mind as you're talking about perception and epic is, again, growth mindset. And if I've got a very fixed mindset, I'm I'm not going to see the world and and look at it from different angles. So that's got to be there, too. It is. You know, the the growth and fixed mindset to me is really about whether we think things are changeable or not, really. You know what I mean? And then if you if somebody's always told you you're a natural at something, you're not going to strive to make it to be any better because you think it's just in, innate and that you don't have to, to do much to make it better. If somebody has told you, wow, you really work hard at that, you, you know, you, you did really well because of that, you're going to strive to work harder. And so I think it, a lot of it is what we tell ourselves and how open we are to recognizing that things can change. So I want to jump back just to curiosity because you've given some great examples of five-year-olds who are off the charts in curiosity. And we've all heard the childlike curiosity. I know you've used that phrase before. So what happens as we age? Where do, where does this go, this natural curiosity? What happens to it? Well, a lot of it is fate. Uh, you know, in the education system could educate us out of it. it it's really interesting. You know, I, I show a picture in my talks often of a, uh, from the Life magazine, I think it was the 1963 issue. It's of the San Francisco Museum of Art. And it's uh, two little girls, and there's all the beautiful artwork on the wall. And instead of looking at it, they're looking at this air vent through the wall, trying to see what's behind the air vent. And they're on the ground looking through this thing. And, of course, they're supposed to be looking at all this incredible artwork, but what do they choose to do? And 
because they're curious. They want to know what's behind the vent. Of course. And when, look, and when I'm looking at that, I'm like, I want to know what's behind the vent. <laughs> and, and, and then you're wondering, well, when did you stop looking behind the vent? Did somebody like say, get off the floor, you're getting dirty, stop that. They probably did, you know, and, and that is a big part of what impacts our, our level of curiosity because we know that when they're kids, they have this great level. We know that three-year-olds ask their parents about a hundred questions a day. And after a while, it gets hard to answer all those questions sometimes, you know, and we become, uh, you know, okay, stop. You know, I mean, I can remember getting on a bus when I was in Vail skiing with my husband and this Hispanic woman and her daughter got on and you could hear them in the back of the bus. And the little girl kept saying, por qué, mama, por qué? And which is why, mom, why, right? And in every language, the kids do that. And it was adorable to me, but uh, you could see she'd heard it a few too many times. <laughs> <laughs> and we all get that. You can't, you know, you get a little bit, it's hard to answer every single question. And I think that as you start to see some exasperated parents, you start to see teachers have, you know, to teach to the test and don't have time. You, there's a lot of things that can have an impact. Just so you know, I would be considered a vent looker too. I would probably pass <laughs> on the art and go go lay down and look at the look at the vent too. So <laughs> I probably would too. I love that. <laughs> so just in closing. How would you like to tie this all together for us today? Well, I, I think a lot of people hear the word curiosity all the time, don't think much of it, you know, but I, I think if you really take some time to think about the impact that uh, all these things are having on your life, I think if you take some time, just write down, I mean, of course you could take the curiosity code index at curiositycode.com, but if you just want to write down what you Fear, what kinds of things are holding you back from asking questions and exploring and doing something different? Uh, just write down a couple of them and write down a couple of solutions uh, of things you can do, baby steps to overcome those. And do the same thing with assumptions. What are you telling yourself that you won't be interested in, that maybe you might be interested in? Uh, what is keeping you back in technology? Are you afraid of it? Are you using too much of it? Do you understand the basics behind it? What could you do to, to improve that? And then an environment, recognizing, did your parents say, hey, you better be a lawyer or you're going to take over the family business? Or did the, your siblings harass you if you liked something different than they liked? Or what did you like that you might have liked uh, had your friends all wanted to go along with it or your boss has not talked you out of it? Or just consider some of the options that maybe some of these things have impacted it and just do things a little bit differently than you normally would take different routes and look at the way to work just in a, you know, what's different that you haven't noticed when, what part of the paper haven't you read that you maybe, maybe if you start reading that, what haven't you learned that you can maybe listen to a podcast about just push yourself a little bit to explore new things. You might find things that are much more fascinating to you than you would otherwise ever have anticipated. And after reading the cracking, the curiosity code, I do believe with the, the um, subheader, the key to unlocking human potential. And it's a uh, wonderful read. Uh, it really shines a new light into, into being curious about one's life and one's business. And, and um, I, I love, I'm looking forward to the book, your work on perception. That's probably going to be another, another step up, I'm sure, with your work. Um, so Diane, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested to learn more and how can, I know you've mentioned it, but I would like you to just repeat, how can they take the uh, curiosity index as well? 
Well, they can reach me through either of my sites. DrDianeHamilton.com is my main site. If they want to go directly to CuriosityCode.com, they can do that. But, that, you know, you can also get to the Curiosity information from the Dr. Diane site. You can find me on social media at Dr. Diane Hamilton. But uh, if you go to the CuriosityCode.com site or uh, and uh, click on the take the curiosity code index part of it. It's really fast. It's 10 minutes maybe. And you get a 26 page PDF, similar to like if you've taken any other personality assessment, but it gives you some great insights as to what these, you know, fear assumptions, technology and environment factors have had on your uh, curiosity. And it gives you some insight as how to create an action plan to overcome it. Sounds fantastic. And, uh, Diane, one thing we do here at Emergo Radio, and Emergo is Latin. It means to emerge or to rise above. And so I ask all our guests, and I'm going to do the same here in a second, is to that you and I get to identify one thing we're going to do in our life today. It may be curiosity-based, <laughs> but what one thing you, you commit to and I commit to today to rise above in your life, what would that be today? Well, I, I think right now with the times that they are, I, I would like to um, look into what I could do to help others be more prepared for crisis. I think that, you know, we're all just sometimes overwhelmed by this. I used to teach a lot of foresight courses and it, being proactive is so important. But I think just right now, I think so many people are fearful of uh, what's happening in the world. And I think it's a good time to see how can you help other people just react more positively in a tough time. It's beautiful. Thank you. It's a that's a great thing for our communities. For me myself, I'm going to make it a little more personal. But uh, I've booked uh, my regular vitamin IV or orthomolecular restoration and to restore and boost my immunity. It's a regular thing in my life. I do it about every six weeks or so and uh, have booked one today. And uh, I love them. They're amazing. And uh, the energy, the sleep and the immunity boosters are fantastic. If anybody's interested, find a natural path, Google it, a vitamin IV therapy. They're, they're great things. Um, I've been joined today with Dr. Diane Hamilton. And as you know, she is an absolute professional leader in the world of business, human potential and performance and uh, her work in curiosity. And I know her coming work in, in perception is going to be outstanding. Uh, Dr. Hamilton, big thanks, and, and I really appreciate you taking the time to visit it with us today at Emergo Radio. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks again, and thanks, everybody, for joining us here on Emergo Radio. In gratitude, we thank you for joining us on Emergo Radio, a place where you rise above with your hosts, Dave Kenny and Susan Kenny. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen and learn. Want more? You can reach us at emergoradio.com. That's E-M-E-R-G-O radio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.